Yeah, a lot of fun, wasn't it? How many of you had an awful Christmas? Don't raise your hand. I'm just kidding. Um, yeah, it's, it's exciting, right? We had a good uh, Christmas Eve service. I know a lot of you were out other places and with family and stuff, and so I hope you guys had a great time. We had a lot of fun here Christmas Eve. We had a bunch of kids in here in the 5 o'clock service who just impromptu in the middle of a song all decided to, like, tackle the stage, right? So I had this group of, like, 20 kids on stage with me. How fun. How many of you, that was one of your kids, right? No, you had a, had a great time, a lot of fun, and 7 o'clock was more the... The, the slower, more the candlelight serves, and again, it's just a great time. And and I, and I really like a lot of you. I just I really do love the holiday season. It's always you know it's one of those things. It's it's always exciting for it to come, and it's always a little ambiguous kind of how I feel when it's leaving. Because let's be honest, you can only hear Christmas songs for so many days in a row, right? Uh, but it's an exciting time. So I would encourage you. You know, we talked a lot a lot about this the Christmas season, and we talked about uh, really engaging the Christmas season and really recapturing the true meaning behind it. And one of the things I want you to hear me say is this about the Christmas season. Christmas, honestly, it's not just a, a day that we celebrate or even it's a season. Really, Christmas is about Emmanuel, God with us, right? And I don't know if you know, but he's not just with us during the holiday season. You know what I'm saying? And so when we sing joy to the world, we don't just sing it during the holiday season. No, I mean, there is, there is joy to the world for each of us, right, during every day of life because of the nature that um, God is with us. And I don't want you to go, yeah, God's with me, hey, right? And you have one of those, woo, kind of those moments of like, hey. No, I want you to think about the nature of creator God. Creator God. Like the one who has no business hanging out with you. Because he is really that much more important than you, right? You know what I'm talking about? You know, people in life, they're like, they don't want to hang out with those down there because they're too small for them, right? Because he had a little too high and too, too almighty. Really, God really is that. He really is too good for you. He really is like, like God married down, right? Jesus is marrying down Revelation when he marries the church. He's marrying way down in all seriousness. And so when we celebrate the nature, then, of Christmas, God with us, that should make you shudder. Because you remember, remember, because, you know, for those of you who are married, remember when you had that moment of revelation of, like, why is she with me? Because she, remember, men, like, if she had any idea who I was, because she's way too good for me, right? Like, everyone says, my brother-in-law especially says, Steve, you married up. And I go, amen, right? I mean, I look for the cutest girl, found her, and I married her, right? So he's way out of my league. True story. I feel that way. And so so in that, it's the same type thing that, that there's that fear of, like, I better hurry up and marry her because, I mean, if she figures out who I am, I'm really pretty ugly, she may be gone, Right? And so the same type thing with God, we should feel that way every time we think about our relationship with God. And every time, I allow him to then remind us, no, no, I love you. And I would want to be with no one else other than you. And so I want you to, to allow, again, if you've been at the problem with church people is you get too churchized and you hear these words over and over again. They stop having meaning to you. I mean, honestly, you know what I'm talking about? It's like, Jesus died for you. Oh, okay, it's awesome. You know, hey, what's, what, what, what are we doing lunch, right? No, it's like, no, Jesus died, right? Jesus left, he left heaven, he lived, and he died for you. And that should never, ever lose its mystery, 
It's quote-unquote magic, and you know what I mean when I say that the mystery and the beauty of something you can't understand. So when we celebrate Christmas, we celebrate it not as something that's coming. We celebrate that it's something that has come and that he's returning again to take his bride with him. And so I want, I'm going to pray for us. This, I, I, that's not in my notes, by the way. This is just really God really speaking this into us, that just the, to be enamored by the beauty and the mystery and the majesty of, of Jesus. So I'm going to pray for that over you. And then those people who are standing can find seats. So it'll be like the seating prayer, right? But I want you to, as I pray, I want you to echo. I want you to hear this. As I pray for you, and I pray for myself, I want you to echo a yes Amen, God, this is what I want as I pray. Okay? So let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the holiday season that's come. We thank you that it's always a reminder of who you are, what you've done, how you're moving in our lives as God with us every day. That Hebrews is true. When you say that you will never leave us, nor will you ever forsake us by turning your back on us, because you love us, your children. And Father, I pray today that we would live in the sobriety that we have no business being in relationship with you. And in all honesty, you have no business being in relationship with us. But Father, you chose to love us. You chose to to lower yourself to come and to be with us. You chose to become one of us. You chose to live the life that we lived in brokenness. You lived your life in poverty. You lived your life as as one that the world rejects so that we would know that you empathize with us in our own brokenness. And I pray, Father, today that that would then cause us God, with great joy to, to be, just to, to express worship, to express joy, gratitude, thankfulness, God, that we would live our life, this, this place of gratitude, Lord, never demanding from you, but a place of gratitude because we know who we are in, 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 in relationship to you and who you are in relationship to us. Holy Spirit, come, humble us today. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, hey, so obviously, uh, like a lot of you in this room, I, I'm a parent, right? I'm a, uh, I've got two girls, Anna Catherine sitting right here. She just turned 11, I know, on December 17th, and Sarah is over here, right? Sarah, raise your hand like this. Hi, I'm proud. There she is right there, right? Sarah's nine. She's going to be 10 in just four months, okay? And, and, and one of those things when... When, when, when I parent well, right, I'll press pause, when I parent well, because we all know that there are moments that we each have as parents, you each have your own moments, I, and my children and my wife can attest, there are moments when I parent well, and there are moments when I parent poorly, right? But when I'm parenting well, there are two things that happen. There are two ways that I see my children, right? I see them both at the exact same time, right? And, I, and, I, and it kind of helps me get a, a proper picture of who they are. On one side, I see my children uh, in, in their present state. Right, I see my children in the present state. They're young. I see them as being innocent. I I see them in honest, in all honesty, immature, 
in their decision-making ability, right? I see them as in need, being in need of direction. I see them as being in need of correction on a fairly regular basis, right? I see a, a level, and you all understand this, of, a, of a, a level of emotional instability, right? I live aware of the studies that say my girls are continually in this constant stage of growth. Therefore, they are in a need, in need of, uh, of grace, in need of mercy, in need of compassion. They're in need of boundaries being set for them. They're in, in need of me showing patience, which is better known as long-suffering as parents, right? In need of patience, right? In short, I see my children, I see them in the reality, I see them in the reality of their youth, right? You understand that. We look at our children, we recognize that they are, they are those who are young, who are immature, they are growing, and we see in the moment our role in their life, right? As parents, we see them in their state, we see them in their need, we see them in this place of growth, this place of maturing, and we find our place in their lives, Ones who bring boundaries, correction, love, grace, mercy, right? We see this role, this role we play in their life. Look at Victor. Is that my coffee, bro? Thanks, man. I appreciate it. There you go, man. This is my brother-in-law, Victor. I'm going to say, hey, Victor. All right. There you go. He's the one we showed the video of a couple weeks ago. Yeah, y'all, y'all, y'all come. Take, press pause. Everyone come find their seat real quick. It's okay. Yeah, yeah y'all come in, find their seat. We've got a front row right here. Look at that. Yeah, man. All right. No, seriously, welcome, welcome, welcome. Right. We're just talking about being parents and this role of being parents, not being embarrassed. Here we go. So, um, so the idea, right, is we, we recognize on one level our, our children, yes, our children's youth, our children's need, right? On the flip side, and hear this, on the flip side, on the flip side, I want to also at the exact same time, I want to see my children in who they're becoming. Right? Like at the exact same time, I want to see my children, I want to see them in their immaturity, the setting the boundaries, I want to see them in their youth, I want to see them right for who they are right now today. But I also at the same time, I want to see them through the lens of who they're becoming, right? The women that they're becoming, the, the wives in time that they will be, right? These people with a great sense of humors that I'm helping cultivate, with this great sense of calling that we're helping develop, right? I see them in who they're coming. And so when I look at them, I want to see them in, in, in this duality. On one side, I want to see today who they are, and I also want to see who they're becoming. Why? Because what it does is it affects how I parent them right now, doesn't it? If I look at them in light of who they're becoming tomorrow, and everything that I do today is helping them become who they're becoming, then I give them grace and mercy. Why? Because I'm not expecting them to be at their destination yet, and I recognize everything happening today is just helping them become the person they're becoming tomorrow. Do you see that? And so the word then that defines my children every moment of every day then is this word, potential, doesn't it? It defines who they are, and it should define them how I view them. Look at Anna Catherine right here say, I see her and I see, listen, she's not perfect, right? She's not perfect. She's great, right? But every now and then she'll scream at her sister, right? I'm just saying, right? It just happens in the house, okay? And no shocking, right? She's like, oh, daddy, stop talking about me, right? But it happens in the moment. 
She's not perfect. So I have. So if I don't have potential defining, I, I get really angry in the moment and kind of bring down the noise on her, right? And don't recognize this as a teaching moment of what it looks like to love her sister moving forward, right? I'm not. I'm not helping mature and grow her. But if I see her as potentially, all right, hey, this is a teaching moment. Yes, I'm frustrated. I have a right to get angry, right? God gets angry and disciplines in the moment. But not angry in the sense of like, oh, I hate, but anger like this is wrong. Let's learn from this, right? And so in the moment, I see potential, and every moment is a growth moment. And so potential then defines, and you need to hear this. Because this is the word for 2014. Potential defines her. And so here's my question for you to think about. When does she stop being parented? Right? So if potential defines my parenting of her, when does she stop being parented? And in a sense, when does potential Stop defining her and the realization of her potential become should happen. When should that happen? Right. When should she stop being parented and realize that? Is it is it when she leaves my home, whether it's to go to college or something? Is it is it is it when she gets married? So I'm handing her off to somebody else. Is it when I die? Is that when she stops being parented? Is that when I stop start stop stop viewing her in light of her potential? What if the answer for her of when does she stop being parented and when does Sarah stop being parented? What if the answer is never? What if they never stop being parented? And what if potential always defines who they are? Because here's the reality. And I want you to hear this. The truth is on the screen. The truth is this. Every single one of us has a heavenly father who always parents us. And so when we look at this, I've been talking about my children. You're like, this is getting boring. He's talking about his kids. What I've just told you is that if you are a child of God, you belong to him and he is your parent, then forever when he views you, he's going to be seeing you where you are in your brokenness, in your immaturity, in your not having reached who you've been called to be. And he sees you with who you're becoming. And I don't know about you, but I always want someone to view me in who I'm becoming and not who I am. Because the person I'm becoming is much bigger and better, hopefully, than the person that I am today. And so what if I'm sitting here telling you today that in the eyes of God, your heavenly father, your spiritual parent, yes, in the moment of your of your adolescence, he always views you, yes, where you are. He sees you in your brokenness. He sees you in your immaturity. He sees you in the areas of growth. He sets boundaries. He disciplines because he loves you. Listen, if you're a parent who thinks you should never discipline, you're wrong. Because God disciplines because he loves you. Discipline equals love for children. God disciplines those that he loves, right? And so God sets boundaries. Why? Because he loves us. He speaks into us. And the entire time he's doing that, he sees us where we are, but he sees who we are becoming. I've told you the story before. Les Beach and this pastor out in Omaha, Nebraska, 
He did our marriage counseling, and he's been part of our network of churches for a long time, back in the, all the way back to the 80s and 90s. He looked at me one time. We, we, I got invited to this pastor's, this pastor's prayer time, right? It's all these just like men and women, right? Just men and women who are leaders in the church just love God. And I'm, and I'm walking in, and I'm one of those things and, and that I'm looking at them going, oh, my gosh, why am I here? I mean, literally, I, 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 was, there was a, it was, I felt humbled to be in their midst. Why? Because I, I, I really respected all of them. And so we're sitting there, and, and he goes around and starts praying and kind of speaking into each person's life. And that's just a powerful moment, right? And he, and he, he stops it, and he, I don't even think he knows me. And he goes, Steve. I went, who? Uh, right? There's sin in my life. He's going to call it out. Uh, right? And he just goes, I see you now, and I see you in the future. And you look much bigger there than you look right now. And then he said it again. Steve, I see you now, and I see you in the future. And you look much bigger than you look right now. And all of a sudden, he stood up and started doing a dance. It was bizarre. He starts, and he starts singing, I'm not going to do it, right? I should, but I'm not going to, right? I'll scar you, right? He starts literally jumping in, in circles. I see you now, and I see you in the future. You look much bigger than you look right now. He's in circles like, for like five minutes. And, and the whole time, I'm just sitting there going, this is so awkward. This is so amazing, right? I'm living in this duality at the same time. And in the moment, all of a sudden, I'm realizing he sees my potential. And what he was speaking, saying, this is how God sees you, Steve. And I'm not going to, listen, it stuck with me forever. Every time. I'm in that moment of like self-loathing. Do you ever get to those places you just don't like who you are, what you're becoming, and all this kind of stuff because you're just an idiot, right? I get there about once a day, right? I just I, I just sing the song all over myself again, and the, this like, and I, and I don't dance, and I don't dance, but it's kind of awkward, like, eh, right? But sometimes maybe I do, right? Don't tell anybody. But I had a moment because because God, I want to be defined not by who I know I am today, but how I know you see me in the future. I need to be honest about today. But hear this. I also need to be honest about tomorrow. Do you see that? It's really easy in your self-loathing to beat yourself up about today and be honest, but never be honest about who you're becoming. In the eyes of God, he sees honesty in both of those. And that's how he views us. Hopefully, how each of us Parents are children when we see them. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to, to just look at three, listen, three ways that God sees us, sees our potential. Basically, basically what's this? If you, like, you know what? So take I've had a pair of sunglasses, right? Julia has a pair of sunglasses on. Imagine I took her sunglasses and I put them on. It would, with the lens, it would change the way I would view you. Right. And so I'm going to name three lenses that God has on that defines your potential. And my hope is this. In 2014, you'll sing that song over yourself. God sees me now and he sees me in the future. And I look much bigger and badder and tough and sensitive and compassionate there than I do right now. Three lenses. And here's the problem. I mean, name the problem right now. Most of you never wear these lenses 
when you're thinking about who you're becoming. Honestly, you're, ne- honestly, you're never honest with yourself. And what I want to do this morning is I want, listen, I want you to embrace the challenge of do I wear these lenses when I'm being honest about myself? Okay? These lenses that define potential in God's eyes. Are you all tracking with me? You have potential. God sees it. You don't. Here are the lenses that he wears and that we all now want to pick up and wear with him. Okay? There's a lot more lenses. I'm just going to name three. Okay? Here's the first lens, the first potential lens, the potential that we have in creation. Potential in creation. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, this all look, and I want you to, you've all read this a million times. This is the first chapter of the book of the Bible, right? Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 and 27, it says this. Then God said, listen, we live in a reality that God never lies. Whatever God says is true. He says, let us, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and don't you love the picture of the Trinity, the unity of the Trinity in the very first chapter of the Bible. Then God said, let us make humans in our image, in our likeness. Now, everyone should stop and go, are you serious? I mean, I mean, I mean, really, God, let us make human beings in our image and in our likeness and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, the livestock over all the earth and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created humans in his own image in the image of God. He created them male and female he created them. And all of us should just go, potential. This is the lens, right? Because in this moment, God says, I've created you in my image. Wayne Gruden defines image this way. He says, the fact, just listen to this, the fact that human beings are in the image of God means that human beings are like God and they represent God. We are like God. We're not equal with him, Right? Jesus, Philippians 2, Jesus being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, nor should we. We're not equal with God, but we are like God. We are like God. We represent God on the earth, right? So, we, so we've been created to live life in such a way that our actions, our speech, our lifestyle, and everything else about us looks like him. Image doesn't literally mean just the physical image, right? How many of you know that you are more than your looks? Praise God for some of us, right? This guy. We are more than our image, more than we look like right here. Not a full makeup of emotions, full makeup of, of feelings and of, of a sense of humor and all of these pieces, right? Think about all the things you like about people that define who you are. And that's the likeness. In the image of God. And he's saying, you've been designed to be like me in all of those. And so when he looks at you with his lens of creation on, he says, hey, I listen, I designed you and there's no design flaw. And if I designed you, 
with the possibility, with the, with the, with the likelihood of being in my image. If I created you in my image, then you can be like me. You can be like me in all of these pieces. You're all the pieces that define who you are as a human being. You can be like me. And then not just only that, you get to represent me to the rest of the world by showing that image and that likeness to everyone that you meet. And so when I discipline you over here, it's because you're not living up to your potential and I love you too much to leave you in that place. So I'm going to correct you. I'm going to put boundaries up and I'm going to call you to greatness. Because my friends, my child, he would say, I see your potential. And it's great. In fact, your potential is to live like me. That's your potential. Never sell yourself short on that. Number two, potential through the gospel. Potential through the gospel. Now, some of you are like, gospel, I can't get my head around that. So let me just make, let me make the gospel. It's, now, you can, you can write books. People have written books and books and books and books of the gospel. Let me just make it really simple for you. Gospel equals Good news. Okay? Gospel equals good news. What is the good news? What is the good news of the New Testament? Well, it's, it's, it's simple. Emmanuel. Christmas. God with us. Right? God. The story of Jesus. The story of Jesus. Leaving heaven. Coming to earth. Living as a human being. Right? Living like us, suffering like we suffered because he has empathy, dying for us. Why? So he could be raised again and conquer death, conquer hell, conquer the enemy, conquer Satan, conquer sickness, conquer all of these pieces. That's the good news. Why? Because he said, I want to make a way for you now to live in relationship with me for eternity. Are you serious? I'm being serious. That's such good news. I know. That's why I call it good news. That is the good news of Jesus Christ, God coming to earth, Christmas, Emmanuel, God with us, making a way for us to live in relationship with him. So there is potential. I want you to hear this is going to wreck you. There is potential. There is potential for us. It's, we, we are defined by the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of what he did and of what he's doing. Right. I love the. I love in, in Romans chapter one, verse 16. Paul comes and he says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. I'll read that again. Romans chapter one, right? Right after Acts, Romans chapter one, for I am not ashamed of the good news of the coming of Jesus, his life, his death and his resurrection. Right. Because why? It is the power of God. It is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. So the idea is real simple. The good news is you can't save yourself. You don't have the power to save yourself. You need the power of Jesus, and that's the good news because it's available to you. Paul goes on, chapter 7, starting in verse 21. Turn over just a few chapters in your Bibles, right? Romans 7 so, so Paul names it in chapter 1, and then he paints a picture for us. 
And let me just go ahead and say this picture. This picture was salvation to me about once a week when I was like in high school and in college. It says this. Talk about identification, understanding my plights as a human being. So Paul says, right, he's about to put the gospel in motion. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. I want to do what God wants me to do, right? But I see another work, another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. Right? Basically, the things I want to do, I don't do. The things I don't want to do, those are the things I find myself doing. Oh, right? It goes on and says, what a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Press pause. Can anybody identify with this? I want to live my life like this. I want to do this, and I don't do it. The things I don't want to do. God. It's like this, it's like burning inside of me sometimes. And all of a sudden, oh, I collapse. Boom, I give in. Oh, what a wretched woman. What a wretched man. What a wretched human being. I am the very things I know I shouldn't do. I find myself doing, right? And so we start beating ourselves up. And Paul says, what a wretched man I am. Basically what Paul's saying here is, I don't have power in my own strength to do the things that I want to do, and to not do the things I don't want to do. He's saying, I don't have the power. He's sympathetic with us, isn't he? And he goes, what a wretched person I am. Who can rescue me? And all of a sudden, he turns to the gospel, the good news of Jesus, verse 25. Thanks be to God, who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. I mean, listen, the gospel of Jesus is that it gives us power. Does it mean you live perfect the rest of your life? No, you're going to make mistakes. But it means, listen, the maturing and the growing is that I sin less and 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 less. Why? Because the power of the gospel of Jesus that that is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, right? Listen, salvation doesn't mean I'm just saved to go to heaven. It means I'm saved from the power of sin in my life. It's not a one-time salvation. It's an everyday salvation saving me from the things that are trying to destroy and trying to kill me. The gospel of Jesus is present every moment of every day of my life. And so when Jesus, when Father looks at us and his parenting skills that are impeccable, he sees us like Paul in our sin and our brokenness. He says, oh, but I see through the lens of the good news. Boom, I've given you power. My Holy Spirit is present with you to empower you every day to live for me so that sin has less and less and less and less control and power over you. That's the potential that you have. Why? Because of my own power? No, because of the power of my, the gospel, the good news of Jesus with you. It defines your potential. Third, well, let me say this real quick. I wrote this down. Our, I want you to hear this. This is great. Sorry. Our potential, our potential is, I wrote it down, so it's great now. Our potential, and hear this, and this is really simple, I'm going to simplify this. Our potential is defined by the power of the gospel in our lives, right? Our potential is defined by the power. So, in essence, Jesus' potential, hear this, 
Jesus's potential defines your potential. That's what it's saying. It's the the gospel, the power of Jesus, the power of the good news, right? So Jesus's potential defines your potential. Why? Because it's not your power that accomplishes anything in the first place. It's the power of Jesus in you that accomplishes things. So it's his potential that defines your potential. So what God, Father, he puts a lens of Jesus on and says, this is how I see you. And if he can do it, it can happen in you. Now we move on to the third thing. That's pretty good, wasn't it? So third thing, potential in the promises. Potential in the promises. Second Corinthians chapter one, verse 20, Paul makes this really bold observation. He says, for no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes, they are yes in Christ. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. If you are a student of the Bible at all, you know that there are, are numerous, numerous promises that God makes to his people all the way from Genesis to Revelation. There are promises that he's coming back. There are promises of him, of him making us as numerous as the stars of the heavens, according to Abraham in Genesis 12, right? The promises to be with us, all these different promises. There's thousands upon thousands of promises that God makes in scriptures. Literally, I think, was, I think if you count it, it's like, there's like 2,180 something. I can't remember, right? But some number are like that. There's thousands of promises that God made to his children, to his people throughout scripture. And Paul's coming and saying, listen, he, God is not fickle. God is not fickle. He does not change his mind. Bill Stevens, he's not willy-nilly. I love that phrase. I use it once a month. God is not willy-nilly. Right? No, he makes a decision, and it's true. And Paul says, and that answer, that promise, is yes in Christ. Basically meaning that every promise that God has ever made throughout Scripture is still true, it is still relevant, and it finds its answer, and it's yes in Jesus. So you read through, there's a promise, the answer is yes, that is for his children. Right? And so, and he goes on, and he says now, and he he goes on in verse 21 and 22, it's beautiful, it says, Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. It's his power, right? He's anointed us. Listen, I love this. He set his seal of ownership on us, right, and put his spirit in our hearts or made a deposit into us, right? Put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Listen, when I worked, for my, when I worked with my dad buying and selling boats, somebody would come in, say, I don't have the money to buy, it to, I don't have the, all the money yet, right? I can't give you everything yet, but I'm going to give you a deposit. And we said, as soon as you put that deposit down, 100 bucks, that boat belongs to you. No one else can buy it. No one else can come in and take it out from underneath you. We commit that now this boat belongs to you. And God says, to let you know who you are to me, I've set a deposit of, of ownership that now I'm going to give you everything at the end of time, when I, when I return, I'm going to give you to my deposit of my Holy Spirit as a sign of ownership right now that you fully belong to me. Fully belong to me, right? So it's this beautiful picture of the promises of God. He is with us, and they are 100% yes and amen for us, right? We belong to him. So three promises I want to look at. You all know these. I'm going to go this real quick on these three promises. 
but just three simple yet profound promises that define your potential in Christ today. The first one is the promise of eternal life for those who believe. All right, John 3.16, whoever believes in him will not perish for eternity, right? But will have everlasting life. You know it. You've seen it all of your life. God so loved the world. Whoever believes in him will never die, but will live eternally with him. Or you can say, God will live eternally, unseparated, unforsakingly with you forever. When did it start? The moment you gave your life to him. So you can never be separated from him. When you were unfaithful, he is faithful. Second promise, the promise of being children of God. First John 3, 1 John 3.1. Just read it with me. It says, see what great love the Father has lavished on us. Everybody say lavished. Man, that's a beautiful word, isn't it? Lavished. I mean, like you can't just go, lavished. No, it's like a lavished. Everything, right? Oh, see what great love the Father has lavished, poured out, right? Without, without, it's without measure. He's poured out, lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are, John says. We are children of God. First, excuse me, John chapter 1 verse 12. This, it says, those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. One of my professors in seminary, Bob Tuttle, love him, said, imagine if we viewed everyone in life as if, as if they were our children. He's talking about sharing the gospel, right? Imagine if you treated everyone in life as if they were your children. And his point was saying, listen, we love everybody, but we love our children more. And I'll give something to my, to my friends, but I'll give everything to my children. I love everybody, but I love them more. But imagine if we treated everyone like that, right? And God does. Everyone who's believed in him, he's given the right to be called children of God, and he calls them children, and he lavishes the fullness of his love and power and good news upon us, and that defines us. Why? Because that's the promise that he made to us, and it's a yes and amen in Jesus. Children of God. See, you, so many of us live in this stage, only what our brokenness looks like as children of God. And so we're like, yeah, of course we're a child of God, and he doesn't like us very much, and he's mean, and he's angry, and he's always stern and never happy with me. That just can't be true, because it's not who he is. He lavishes the fullness of his grace and mercy and justice and compassion upon us. Because potential defines how he views us as children. The third thing he promised, and this is great news, is the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 2, 38 and 39. Uh, it says, Paul speaking, says, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and, all, and for all who are far off. For all whom the Lord our God will call. Listen, there is a dual promise here. See this. There is a dual promise in 38 and 39. The first promise, and how beautiful is this, is the forgiveness of every sin you've ever committed and will commit forever. 
That's a promise right there, my friends. It's a yes and amen in Jesus. Also, the promise of the Holy Spirit. For Jesus said, wait for the promise of my Holy Spirit, and he will give you power, and you'll be my witnesses to everyone in the world. And so what I want you to hear me say is the promise that we have today that's yes in Christ is the promise of forgiveness of sins and the promise of the power of the Holy Spirit empowering us to live life obedient to Jesus. I've said this before, and I hear this, this is, and then I'm done. Jesus wasn't able, listen, this is going to wreck you. I've said it before. It's wreck you every time you hear it. Jesus did not live sinless because he was God. He lived sinless because he was a human being empowered by the Spirit of God. Do you hear that? He didn't live sinless because he was God. He lived sinless because he was a human being empowered by the Spirit of God. Which should then give us hope to move from sanctification, this process of becoming more like Jesus every day. Why? Because I'm empowered by the same Spirit that empowered Jesus to live the life that he did. Why do you think Jesus says, you will do even greater things than all the miracles I've just named because I'm going to my Father and sending you my Spirit. That's the promise. And so when he views us with potential, he sees us as being powerful, of being, of being sin wreckers, of being world changers as his children because we've been designed in his image, right? Because of the good news of Jesus, because all the promises are yes and amen in him. And all of a sudden I go, I look much bigger than I look right now in his eyes. I look much bigger than I look right now because of Jesus in me. Oh my gosh, you've got to be kidding. My life has changed right now. Why? Because potentials defining me. If I'm honest with myself, I see myself, but I also see myself here. Why? Because the reality for us is this. We don't just get to see the broken part of ourselves in Christ. We can see the healthy potential also. Why? Because he wants to awaken us. Why? To see the same things that he sees. Because when I parent well, I look at my children and say, yes, you've done this and you think you're awful, but I know that you are not because you're my daughter and you're a child of God. And this is how he views you with potential. You can be defined by God's potential. And when it is awakened to you, it will cause you to be emotional. You know, listen, God is an emotional God. He loves emotion. We're created in his image. We're emotional because he's emotional. And we know that we are stepping into an understanding of the image of God and being created in his image when it causes this emotion to well up inside of us of like of just this resolve and just this this tenderness of of this beauty and wonder and tears of joy and excitement it'll be a duality of both of like right all in one why because the reality of who god is and his potential that we have in him wells up inside of us and we are undone and we say this is the year of the Lord's favor because of his work of the Holy Spirit in my life and I will never sell myself short and call him a liar again because I only believe this about myself. I'm calling him a liar because I don't believe this about myself. And we don't ever want to do that. Can anybody say amen? amen. This, 
is the potential that defines every human being. Whether they are saved or not, because they have potential, the gospel getting into their lives, saving them and bringing them to this place. This is his desire. So, this morning, harvest is going to come, we're going to get back into worship. This is not ministry time, although there's ministry time happening. This is worship, right? This is a, this is, you can leave if you need to. We want to have a time of worship, a time of, of celebrating who God is and what he's done. We want to celebrate the, the moment of this, right? We want to celebrate the truth, right, of who God is and what he's doing in our lives. And what I want to ask you to do in this moment is I want you to be honest with yourself about how you view yourself. Do you view yourself only in light of today? Or do you let God, do you let him speak truth about who you're becoming? Do you only define yourself by this over here? Or do you allow his potential? Have you heard Jesus sing the song over you and do the dance? I see you now and I see you in the future. And you look much bigger there than you look right now. Have you allowed that potential of being designed and created to look like God to define your thinking about yourself? I want to encourage you this morning. As we come into this time of worship, if you need to leave this morning, I understand. You're more than welcome to do that. You guys have a great week. But if you can stay, I want to invite you just to worship. I want you to pray and ask God to awaken inside of you the potential of how he views you. I want you to ask him, God, I'm, listen, I'm afraid to view myself in this. Because what if it doesn't happen and I'll be let down? God works all things for his glory. The work that he's begun in you, he will bring it to completion, right? So God, help me not just to view myself here, but to view myself here and to live my life with potential defining every step that I take. I, in my own power, can't bring myself to that place. I need you to do it. Help me. I want, listen, I don't care if it's a one-second prayer. I don't care if it's the most faithless prayer you've ever prayed in your life. I want you to pray it anyway. God, awaken me to my potential in you. So we enter in. We're going to take this. And you come forward as the Lord leads for offering. If you're a first-time guest at Vintage, don't feel compelled to give it all. Just take that Connect card you filled out, leave it on your seat, and we'll get it later. But we want to invite you as we are in worship, as an extension of worship, to bring your offering before the Lord. Place your year-end offering, your regular offering, right? Come and bring it before the Lord. I encourage you to take communion. It's on both sides this morning. You want to take communion to celebrate the work of Jesus that's, that's allowed you to have potential. That's what we're doing in, the, in communion this morning. But you come as the Lord leads. You respond as the Lord leads. And each of you, I'm asking that you would pray this prayer. God, awaken me to my potential so I can see, you, see myself the way that you see me. So I, can, so I can be an image bearer and represent you to the world. You respond as the Lord leads. Go ahead and stand and let's worship this morning. Let our praise be your welcome. Let our song.